I got to be honest, I've always hated sales. I was one of those kids, like remember in junior high when they would, you know, like try to raise money for school and they said, okay, everyone's going to sell cookies and pizza. I was like, ugh. The idea of like going around in the neighborhood door to door trying to sell stuff, I always felt like I was imposing. I'd rather just work than, than do sales. And then even when our kids started to like get in school, I just didn't like that concept of going to mom and dad and grandpas and grandpas and having to sell that stuff. I've always hated sales because I always, I don't know, I always felt like I was imposing and I always felt like I was really bad at it. I mean, for those of you who are really good salespeople, like awesome, like that's your career and that's what you're good at and gifted at. Uh, but I never thought I was really good at it. Um, and I went through a, a job transition, a career change uh, a few years ago, stepped down in a position at a church. And the one thing I met with someone who's kind of a mentor, and I said, I know the one thing that I'll never ever do is sales. And he kind of laughed. And he said, Chris, you're actually like a salesman all the time. And I go, what do you mean by that? I've never actually done sales for a job. And he said, Chris, I've seen you at church if there is a new person, and they're looking for a way to get connected, you always seem to find the right small group or the right ministry area for them to meet their needs. I said, or they're looking to serve, you'd find out their giftedness, and you would find the exact right ministry area that would empower them and make them feel like they were important. And then he said, also, too, forget just ministry for a minute, you're one of those people who learns about people's needs or what's going on in their life, and you seem to happen to know the right product or the right tool or the right area that's going to help them. And he said, Chris, you're actually a really good salesman. You just don't happen to do it for a job. And it was kind of an eye-opener for me that, well, wait a minute. What does being a salesperson mean? And actually, someone said to me that the best salespeople are not actually trying to sell a product. Um, it's actually when you get into trouble, when you're just only trying to push a product for the purpose of profit. The goal is to actually find out what people's needs are and to find out what is actually the best fit for them. So the best salespeople are actually the best listeners. And they're the best people who are actually about the person, that the person in front of them is the most important thing. And what's secondary is actually finding the right product for them. And I started thinking about this too, like, okay, now I started going down this rabbit trail and I started going, okay, so we're kind of all natural salespeople in some way, shape, or form. And then I started thinking about, well, actually, people do this all the time on social media. Isn't it so weird that you meet, get a new restaurant and people have no problem like posting a picture of, hey, try this new restaurant, but somehow talking about Jesus feels awkward. We're very okay with the idea of like, hey, I just test drove this new cell phone, and you guys all should have it. It's, it's going to be a game changer. But somehow we, talk, we want to talk about God, somehow it's awkward. Somehow we feel like we're imposing on people. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about today is, if we are all, for those of us who call ourselves a Christian, in relationship with Jesus, and he has transformed and changed our lives, how come we don't talk about him more? And the realization I came to, and it actually, some of this is through people I've had discussion with even recently, and even with my small group, is some of us want to, but we don't know how. 
And so what today is going to be very much is a very pragmatic look. And if we want to talk about Jesus, how do we do that? How do we remove the obstacles that we have personally? And how do we just plain get better at sharing our faith and talking about that? So we're going to read through the book of Colossians, not the whole book of Colossians, but we're going to have you stand as we read the Word of God together. In Colossians 4, starting with verse 2, it says, Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer everyone. God, as we talked this morning about how to share our faith with others, help us to be open to change. Help us to see the obstacles that might be preventing us from engaging with relationships. Help us, for those who are nervous about uh, spiritual conversations, to learn some things this morning. And may we rely on the power of your Holy Spirit to do all these things. In your Son Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can have a seat. So I started listing out potential reasons why we don't engage in conversations. Some of this, again, is from personal experience. Some of it's from uh, other people I've talked to. But some of the, some of the reasons, it's, it's awkward for some of us. Some of us just aren't natural conversationalists. Most of us get in a conversation, and once we get past the weather or current events, we're kind of lost. Um, and that's okay. There's some of us who are just awkward. Uh, we are worried that we are going to say the wrong thing or not know an answer. We're kind of worried that somehow someone's going to ask a theological question that all of a sudden is going to be like, er, um, never thought of that. And we feel like we're going to somehow wreck it. It could also change the nature of the relationship. Some of us have friendships or we're in relationship with family members, and we feel like if we introduce a spiritual component, that somehow the nature of the relationship will change. Somehow that relationship where we're close to the person, well, somehow there's going to be a wedge, and somehow it's going to kind of drift apart somehow. Another one, we're just too busy. To actually stop and engage in spiritual conversations means slowing down. And so a lot of us are just too busy. And then last, we don't have relationships with non-believers. Maybe some of us are so into kind of the Christian world and most of the people that we are spending time with are the Christians that we don't have relationships with non-believers. Now, some of these things I'm not going to be able to address today, like if you're too busy, but uh, there's a few of these things today that I think if we look at this passage will help us get better at sharing our faith. So let's dive in. The context for this passage Um, Paul is actually in chains again. It seems like he's always in chains. Um, Paul is in prison again, and he's talking to this church, this new church that is actually under attack for heresy or basically false teaching. And so he's kind of walking through each one of these heretical things that's being pushed on this church. And he winds up essentially saying to them, okay, you guys got to work on two things. I'm going to address each of these theological things. But you need to know your faith well, and you also need to put your identity in Jesus. He says the way that you're going to stay away from these heretical teachings is actually keep on working on your theology, keep, keep this, this mental 
thing, keep engaging the truth, but also you have to find your identity in Jesus. So he takes basically up to these four chapters, kind of really unpacking that, but he gives them some final charge. This is kind of a final emphasis. And what he says is, hey, look, this is all kind of like pointing towards one thing. We need to be conveyors of truth. We need to represent Jesus where we go. If there's all this heretical teaching, if there's all these false things about God being talked about, it is up to you to find and make the most of every opportunity. So I'd actually say his context here is very similar to what we face as a culture. There are so many mistruths about God out there. There's so much false teaching that we as Christians have two jobs. Make our faith very like sound. We need to be growing as disciples. But we also need to be able to see opportunities. That is the only way that we create real change in the world. We are not going to change the world through politics. We are not going to change the world um, through, through man-made things. We're going to change the world by the message of Jesus Christ. So he's basically saying, the first thing he says is to be prayer is, address, is to be prayerful and to be watchful. He says, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for a message. This is how I think is what separates sales and sharing our faith. Sales is very much a man-made thing. There's formulas, there's ways of doing, there's ways of going about it. This is ultimately a spiritual battle. So if we try to use man-made techniques for trying to win people over to Jesus, it's not going to work. So first and foremost, if we are to engage non-believers, we are supposed to be praying. We are to be praying to see people and to see opportunities. That's not always easy. Most of us, when we engage someone who's not a believer, we want to be able to share something with them right away. We want to share the truth. We want to be able to point them a different path. Prayer is our first and foremost power to make this happen. So I wanted to list a few things, just some very, very practical things for those of you who are not good prayers. Now, some of you are like, like that's your spiritual gift, like that's what flows for you, and that's amazing. I'm not. I'm a person who tries to problem solve first. I tend to not pray. I actually have to structure it. So here are just some very practical tips for those of you who are not good with prayer. Number one, keep a prayer journal or just a note on your phone. I know this sounds really dorky, but I now, because if I say I'm going to pray for someone, I almost always forget. I actually stop and go, okay, I've got to write this down. So I have a prayer note just on my phone, and also keep a prayer journal. Because some of this is to have as a reminder for ourselves. Second, Set a daily or weekly alarm to pray for non-believers in your life. Isn't it funny we can set an alarm like, hey, take your vitamins, ding, you know, pick up the kids, you know, at school, ding. Why don't we have a ding for praying for non-believers? It would be a really, really useful tool. This is another one. Meet with your roommate, spouse, and your kids to come up with an ongoing prayer list of non-believers in your life. There's something about coming together, especially with friends and your family, and writing out a list because we can then keep each other accountable, which is, hey, I, I know you're praying for your friend at school. 
How is that going? Are you reaching out to them? How can we pray for that person? Do this as a family. This is a super simple one. We all have those dead times that we have like at the dentist's office or we're waiting for someone. Use your downtime to actually scroll through your contacts. So instead of playing that, you know, zombies versus plants or whatever, plants versus zombies, how will you actually just scroll through your contacts, pray for that person, and if you feel led, it's like send them a text to let them know that you're praying for them or just reach out to them. And this is another cool one. Just take a prayer walk. Go around your neighborhood and just pray for the people by names that are at that house. Maybe you don't know their names and maybe God's prompting you during that prayer walk to reach out to them. Walk around your school and pray for your classmates. Pray for your teachers. Walk around your job site and pray for those people. Because when we pray for non-believers, two things happen. It reminds us that we need the strength from the Holy Spirit. Something supernatural happens in us. That we're reminded that in order for us to engage non-believers, we're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit. And second, it reminds us, as Paul says here, to be watchful for opportunity. It opens our eyes to people. We see things anew. Uh, one of the ways that this happened to me while I was going uh, during this career transition, um, I was going back to school and I started driving for Metro Mobility. And just for kicks, I kind of like grew out my hair and I grew out a beard. And so I kind of looked like Moses, to be honest, from the Ten Commandments. It was not a very flattering look. Well, anyways, there was, I, was, um, I was on the bus one day and I was helping the woman go on. She stopped. And all of a sudden she looked at me and she's like, you're a pastor, aren't you? And I go, no, it's just the Moses thing. It's, it's not, and she goes, no, you're a pastor, aren't you? And I go, yeah, actually, I, I used to be a pastor. She goes, I can actually see the Holy Spirit on you right now, and you're the pastor of this bus. And I thought about that. I'm like, oh, actually, I, I could be if I had that mindset. I didn't have that mindset before that. I can pray for my passengers that come on the bus because I'm going to actually know their needs quite well as I observe them and I listen to those conversations. And then I learn to engage my regulars on my bus. I just hadn't thought of that environment as a spiritual environment. And maybe we need to pray and walk around the environments we're in so we can see those as supernatural opportunities. So what do we do when the opportunities come? Paul encourages us to actually be engaged in spiritual conversation. We, we pray, we see opportunities, but then we need to engage in spiritual conversations in the context of relationship. He says this, And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer anyone. We should be engaged in spiritual conversations. Now, one of the mistakes I made early in my faith, like high school years, is I thought spiritual conversation was like, just jump to the story of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's like kind of how I started leading conversations. Like, do you know Jesus and he's the savior of your, of your life? People are always like, whoa, that's like... That's like, you're coming at me like real quick. And one of the things that I've grown to realize is even though the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is like the main thread of the gospel, 
there are actually other threads of the gospel that are incredibly important that we can engage people in that are the mysteries of Christ. Again, I'm trying to say this. The, the main story of the gospel message is the death and resurrection of Jesus. But there are other aspects, even Paul says here, the mysteries of Christ. It's plural. John Piper actually wrote a, a handful of some of the different mysteries of Christ that we can actually engage in during spiritual conversation. Some of them are that the Son of God should become man, that he actually came to earth as a human, that he should ha- live a life of poverty and love, that he should die in the same place of sinners and bear the curse of the law, though he was sinless, that he should rise from the dead and reign in heaven today, that the ungodly should be justified by faith, that Jew and Gentile, red and yellow, black and white, should be reconciled in one body to God, and that Christ should dwell in our hearts and seal us for glory. If you look at this list, there's actually a lot of different facets of conversations that we can get into for people who don't have a relationship with God. For example, what do we do about poverty in our country? That's one of the mysteries of Christ, is that we reach out to the poor and and help the, the people who have been unjustly accused of things. What do we do about racism and prejudice? That God in the early church, Jesus in the early church, was actually trying to break down racism, break down these walls. So there's all sorts of different conversations we can get into that involve the mystery of Christ. But it's a lot of different things. So here's the kind of the encouragement. Keep working on your own theology when it comes to understanding the mysteries of Christ. The deeper you have the understanding of the mysteries of Christ, the actual more conversations you can get into that have to do with these different threads or these different facets. So one of the incentives to keep growing your theology is be able to engage lost people. But Paul understands that this is in the context of relationship. He says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer everyone. Now this phrase, making the most of opportunities, uh, the English does a pretty good job of capturing this, but the term he uses is actually more of almost of a financial term here, which is kind of like build on the collateral you made, or another way of saying it that I saw text interpreted, buy every opportunity. So he's basically saying is you develop relationship collateral with people, and based on that relationship collateral, how you've treated them, how you've acted around them, you actually get to kind of cash in on that opportunities and take use of that opportunity. And he actually kind of reiterates this with a different metaphor in Acts 3. Starting in verse 5, he says, What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed and Apollo watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they'll be each rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. The cultivation happens in the context of relationship. People will observe how we act. They will observe our words. It will observe how we treat people. And then we get to plant the seed through spiritual conversation. And we ought to be able to take that step. And ultimately, it is God's job to make it grow. That's not our responsibility. Our job is twofold. To develop relationships 
and to be involved in spiritual conversation. So, the first part, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. There's two main areas I want to talk about. How do you treat people in your daily encounters? I know that sounds so pithy and so simple, but you wouldn't believe how much people observe how you treat other people. For example, when there's that person in front of you at Speedway who's taking like forever to check out, what's your body language like? Because could you imagine if you're like, oh, this person's like taking like 15 minutes, get your act together. Like I have a routine at Speedway like to get through quickly. I don't know if you're like me, like I like like precision. The people that aren't prepared for the checkout line kind of bug me. And I got to watch my body language because I start to like kind of look irritated because they're taking so slow. I've always thought, okay, that speedway is not that far away from church. Could you imagine if all of a sudden I was like kind of giving them that, you know, Minnesota passive aggressive dirty look and then they show up for church? Like, oh, hi, welcome to Pursuit. <laughs> I just gave you a snotty look. Um, Jesus loves you. Um, that would be super, super awkward. But you'd also be surprised again in your, your daily life, your, your job or your school, how you treat people. And another question to ask is, how do you handle your decisions, your ethics, your finances, and your relationship? Um, I'm going to change someone's name just uh, for, this, for the sake that if they hear the sermon. Uh, I, had a, I have someone that I worked with. I'm going to call him Stu. And Stu was one of my bosses um, at one of the companies I was working at. And he claims to be a Christian. He talks about Jesus uh, quite a bit uh, with his coworkers. But Stu has not always been ethical with how he treats clients. Um, he has asked us on a number of occasions to kind of, as in construction and painting, to cut corners. And it has always felt kind of awkward. Um, so there's one particular day, like, it just kind of had enough. And I'm like, hey, Stu, I know you want us to cut corners, but I feel like to treat the client right, we got to take the, go the extra mile on this particular thing. And he kind of disagreed with me for a while. And I'm like, look, I, I kind of don't care. I know you're my boss, but I'm going to do the ethical thing here. And we're going to treat the client well. I had another one of my coworkers that day take me aside and say, Chris, I'm really glad you did that because Stu has talked to me about Jesus and the fact that he handles the clients that way, I don't know if I buy it. But the fact that you're willing to stand up and make an ethical decision, you have credibility with me. And I'm not saying that to like, to my own horn because I had no idea that this guy was even watching or, or observing. But how we handle our ethics and our decisions matter because people are going to be watching. And if we act unethically and we try to engage in spiritual conversation, we don't have that credibility. He also, Paul goes on to say, have conversations that are grace-filled, seasoned with salt, and ready for spiritual conversation. And I heard someone says, grace is defined as heaping on love when it's not deserved. I like this idea of heaping on love uh, when it's not deserved. So, are you nice when someone doesn't deserve it? How do you speak of others? Those hallway conversations we have at school or work, are we speaking well of our boss? Are we speaking well of our coworkers? Sometimes they don't deserve it. But are we speaking well of them? And then the last one, how are you handling your social media posts? This is getting to be kind of actually more of like a bigger deal 
in our culture in terms of how we expose kind of some of our thoughts and beliefs on social media. What's weird about conversations is that's like a one-time like snapshot. Our social media posts now are kind of longer. They're, they're out there. They're out there for anyone to see, and they're kind of more permanent. It's almost, almost more important now of how we're handling our social media posts than even how we're handling conversations, oddly enough. How are you handling your, spiritual, your social media posts? Okay, what is a conversation seasoned with salt? And I stole this from someone. Salt means just it adds flavor. It adds life. So the three things are it is encouraging, it is life-giving, and it points towards truth. I'm one of those guys who kind of leans towards sarcasm. Um, I'm afraid to admit that. Um, sarcasm is kind of my love language. But I've come to learn that actually sarcasm kind of like puts people on guard. Um, sarcasm is not life-giving. It's a lot of times seen as a threat uh, to people, which is, oh, are they going to point out some inadequacy I have? And so I'm working on this area. I'm not, I'm not there yet. But is your, your conversation's life-giving? Is it encouraging and does it point towards truth? Okay, so if we are handling our relationships well, if we're handling our ethics well, and if our conversations are encouraging, how do we actually engage in spiritual conversations? The question I actually get the most is, what do I ask? How do you, how do you kind of change, like you, you're, you're loving people, you're getting to know more about their life, how do you change the conversation to a spiritual conversation? Well, I'm going to give you a list of questions, and there's more than this. I could probably list like 30 of them, but I'm going to give you a handful of questions that you can ask people that can start to change the conversation into a spiritual conversation. Number one, do you believe people can change? It tells a lot of people about what does redemption look like. Do you believe that people can change? Second, what brings you a sense of meaning or purpose in life? Do your kids bring you meaning? Does your job bring you meaning? What gives you a sense of purpose? Third, do you think our world is getting better or worse? It's kind of, it's, I mean, that's a super open-ended question that can actually change a lot. Do you think our world is getting better or worse? Because you can find what people put trust in. You can find what people's kind of, are they optimistic or pessimistic about the spiritual things in this world? It's a really good question. What would actually change your mind on a topic or subject? This is actually pointing towards what gives them um, authority in their life for truth. Is it facts? Is it an expert testimony? Um, is it personal experience? If you were exposed to a topic, what would change your mind on a particular topic or subject? Is there a book or movie series that has meant a lot to you? I'm telling you now, one of the ones that gets me in the most spiritual conversations is the Marvel Universe. I know that might sound super, super dumb, but I actually love the Marvel Universe because I think there's a lot of things about humanity and what humanity struggles with. Um, I mean, even the lead character, Tony Stark, of here's someone who uh, was very selfish and only about himself, and he ultimately is, like, sacrificial. And so there's a lot of, like, spiritual things that you can talk about within just the Marvel Universe. So, but also, it creates people... Um, you can get to know their interests this way. If you won the lottery, what would you do with your free time? Actually, not what you do with the money. 
Because I think it, you know, like that usually doesn't lead to a lot. But what would you do with your free time? If people just kind of had open-ended free time, what would they do with their life? You would find out really what their value is if there wasn't the stranglehold of our jobs on us. What is the biggest challenge facing humanity? Because you're actually going to find out a lot about, again, their actual true religion, what they really believe, when you ask the question about what are the challenges facing humans. Have you ever had a mentor who has meant a lot to you? Because that can lead into, you know, kind of how they've grown and what's their personal growth like and if they're open to change. And also, what is the best advice you've ever received? And again, you're going to find out a lot about a person you ask those questions. Okay, so if you ask good questions, it's like, okay, they gave me an answer, what do I do? Well, it's pretty simple. You observe and listen. Here, the answer to those kind of spiritual questions reveal these kind of things. Number one, their source of purpose. I think that's a great question to ask now in a, in a culture where we have so many things competing for our time and attention, and most, of, most people really don't feel that fulfilled. They're just kind of going through the motions. Second, what is their authority for truth? We can't have a conversation about truth until you know what their authority for truth is. We want to point towards, hey, the Bible says this. I hate to say it, we actually, there's a lot of people who aren't believers that believe it's an ancient document that really doesn't have a lot of meaning in our culture. So until we have that conversation about what is your source of truth, it's hard to engage in these, in these kind of conversations. Also find out the nature of human and whether or not they believe in a sin nature. What creates redemption? How do people change? How does the story of sin get resolved? Also, where there might be hurt or pain in their lives. I'm just going to camp on this one for a second. When we find out about hurt or pain, the hurt or pain or trauma a lot of time is sometimes the obstacle between them and Jesus. It is sin that has happened to them or sin they committed, and that hurt and that trauma gets in that way. And also with that hurt or pain, we know how to meet their needs then. Sometimes I go into situations assuming I know what their needs are. But until you really observe and listen, you can't know what those needs are and then how they view God. Their theology will come out with those kind of questions. So again, if you have genuinely listened, invested in that person, acted in a wise way, you get to engage in these conversations that wrap around the mysteries of Jesus Christ. When we pray, we see opportunities. When we get invest in a relationship, we get the privilege then of engaging in spiritual conversations. We get to share the mysteries of Jesus Christ. So again, this is a very, very pragmatic sermon. I'm working on the assumption that you're actually passionate about your relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm starting with that assumption. But if you're kind of feeling dry right now, engage Jesus again. I know like it was actually like between Thanksgiving and Christmas. I was kind of feeling this myself, uh, to be perfectly honest, is well, why don't I have a heart for my coworkers? Why I just kind of felt kind of just dead in terms of my relationship with Jesus. And how can I have an overflow if I'm not engaged myself. So I had to re-engage. And when I did that, again, through prayer, through study of the word, understanding the mysteries of Christ, my passion for non-believers grew. It was a supernatural thing. 
So what I want to do is I want to end the day, questions ask yourself, or if you're in small groups, questions ask your small group, who do I need to cultivate a better relationship who is not here yet? Who is not in this room or isn't at a church or isn't a believer that you want to invest a little bit more time and energy and effort into? Second, what are the mysteries of Christ I need to learn more about? Just even from that simple list, there's more than that, but from that list I got from John Piper, what are some of the mysteries of, of Christ? Where do you need to grow deeper in your theology and understanding the mysteries of Christ? Third, how can I get better at spiritual conversations? Is it listening? Is it kind of having your list of good questions? How are the ways that you can get better at spiritual conversation? And the last one, who am I praying to invite to Easter? Uh, we actually have it as an assumption that every week you're inviting people, but Easter is a really good time to invite people. It's kind of a natural time for people to engage spiritual things. And just want you to be asking, who are you thinking about inviting for Easter? Great questions to ask as your roommates um, in your family. Who are we as a group going to invite to Easter? So that's it. That's what I'm sharing today. I hope that, again, that we remove the obstacles that keep us from talking about Jesus. But also we slow down, folks. We got to slow down, take pause, and see where we need to work. So I hope you do that today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, and help us to um, remember that more often. Help us to take the time to slow down and engage with you spiritually, to be learning about the mysteries of Jesus Christ. Uh, but also, Lord, as Paul exhorts us here, to be prayerful and watchful to see opportunities. Um, some of us are just too busy, and we just don't see those opportunities. God, some of us are scared. Some of us are nervous about um, engaging in these spiritual conversations where we're going to say the wrong thing. But thank you for the gift of your spirit, that your spirit will guide us and will give us the words that we need to say as we engage in spiritual conversation. Thank you for this time in your son's name. Amen.